Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you today as people who are in need in so many ways. Um, we need help, but we also need forgiveness. We need togetherness, and yet we're prone to run, prone to wander. Lord, through your word today, would you show us the good news of the gospel and how truly you've told us this good news in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've spent much time in church or around Christians, you've probably heard, and probably the old King James translation of, of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Well, I guess just part of one of those verses. I don't remember which one it is. But it says, seek and ye shall find. We've heard this verse before, right? Seek and ye shall find. So, of course, the implication here is typically that those who found God must be the right kind of people. They must be the kind of people who seek God, the kind of people doing the right kinds of things. Those must be the good people mustn't they? All of those other people, all, all those people outside of the church walls, they must be out there because they failed to do something that all of us in here have managed to do. That's sort of the implication that often comes with this quotation of seek and ye shall find. But if that's how I'm supposed to understand Matthew, I don't know how to understand Moses when he tells me the garden story. And if that's what Matthew meant, I don't know how to understand any of the Old Testament. It, in fact, if that's what Matthew meant, I don't even know how to read the book of Matthew. Because the testimony of Scripture is not that good people seek God and find him, while bad people avoid him and remain lost. Matthew, actually, is a book about the God who came down from heaven to become a man named Jesus so he could seek and save his people. And that's what the rest of the Bible is about too. So coincidentally, that's what our passage is about today. What do you know? We, we've already heard in our previous weeks, if you've been here with us going through Genesis, that after God made a perfect world, 
after he made man in his own image, and after he gave that man a woman made out of his very own flesh and bone, so that when he saw her, he said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, finally, we've heard that after God did all of these things, what did the man and the woman do? They sinned. They did the one thing God said, don't do that. And when they did that, they brought the curse of sin into God's perfect world. Today, we're going to hear the good news that though mankind ran from God, God finds the runaway. God finds the runaway. We're going to hear this message in three points. Point number one, the people hide. You know, the the one thing that's true about the impression we get about seeking ye shall find is, is that the bad people do hide. The thing that's not true is we like to think we're not the bad people. The people hide. Point number two, the Lord pursues. The Lord pursues. Point number three, the bride is blamed. If, if you noticed, when Kelsey was reading this passage, we're cutting off here today at a point that really leaves you asking some questions and wanting some things to happen. Well, that's sort of the way that God has written history. All of history, and especially the lives of Adam and Eve, leave you thinking, wait, how could that be where we end? Our passage today ends with a bride who is blamed. Let's start with the people hide. Here's what Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, so they've had this sort of radical self-discovery, but not really the good kind. You know, they, they sinned, and where before they were naked and they were like, cool, no problem. Now they had something to be ashamed of because sin came into the world and they're give me some fig leaves. I gotta, I've got some parts I got to cover here. And now this thing happens where God shows up and they realize it's not just me. It's not just my body that's a problem. I have another thing coming. So, so we see that God made the world and it was good. And he made the world, after he made the world, he made a temple for his presence that he called the Garden of Eden. And what we see here contained, sort of implied within this verse, is a glorious picture of what that garden looked like. Because here's God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. God is walking in the garden, the place where Adam and Eve lived. Because God made the world to be blessed by his presence. He made people to dwell with him. He didn't put people just anywhere in the world. He put them in the garden. Here he is on his evening stroll. When the man and his wife heard God's footsteps on the garden floor, it wouldn't have been the first time that they heard this. This was their life. This is the way it was. They would have heard this before, but this time it was different. This time it was different when they heard the steps of God because sin had entered the picture. 
And because of this, the man and the woman had a changed relationship with the world. They had changed relationship with themselves and they had a changed relationship with God. Everything changed because of sin. None of it in a good way. When they looked at their naked bodies, of which they were once unashamed, they were now ashamed. When they heard the sound of their father's footsteps, where once they knew safety and fellowship, now they felt fear. For the first time ever, here comes God on his evening walk, and mankind is nowhere to be found. Something has gone very, very wrong. And, and so this isn't just an Old Testament concept that we see here of God comes a-walking and the people go hiding. Look at, look at what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1. I've, I've quoted this recently to you guys before, so it may sound familiar. Paul makes it clear in Romans that we don't struggle to find God. We're, we're not searching so hard for him and, and God, where are you? We run from him because of our sin. Here's what Paul says. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The unrighteousness in us, it's, it's suppressing the truth of God. We're hiding from him. And it's not just Paul. It's, it's not like one New Testament writer had this unique view. Here's what John says in John chapter three. This is just after for God so loved the world, or uh, how the CSB says it, for God loved the world in this way that he sent his only son. Here's what Paul says, or what John says. Uh, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Why did they love the darkness? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. So when Adam and Eve hide, it's just the first time that we see something that all of us are so functional in, we don't even know that we're doing it most of the time. It's so deeply a part of who we are. We are prone to believing that God has abandoned us and left us vulnerable. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we can see that we are the ones hiding from him, not the other way around. Why is that? Is, is it because we're too judgmental and we need to show ourselves more grace? You know, is, is, in, in this story, is this telling us, come on, Adam and Eve, you know, your bodies are just fine. Get rid of those leaves. You know, and God loves you. Don't, don't hide in those bushes. Is, is that the problem here? Is it because we're too rigid and we just, and we just need to loosen up? Do we need to free ourselves from these repressive backwards rules? Is it because we, we have God all wrong and we need to realize that God loves everything about us so that we can begin to love and forgive ourselves? Is that the message of Scripture? Certainly that might sound like a familiar message, but is that the message of Scripture? Well, the man and the woman here hid from God because something was wrong. There was a reason they became ashamed, that they became ashamed. They weren't imagining anything. This wasn't something they needed to convince themselves otherwise. And the, and the reason was sin. Sin caused them to feel ashamed of their bodies, caused them to cover them. Their relationship with their bodies was broken by sin. 
Man, we know that. We have messed up relationships with our bodies, don't we? This isn't imagined. The relationship that we have with our bodies, it was broken by sin. Sin caused them to hide from God. Their relationship with their creator was broken by sin as well. But thank God, the story does not end there. It doesn't end there. What we're going to see is that the one who believes that God cannot love sinners is wrong. But so is the one who believes that sin is not a problem to God, that God just wants us to lighten up and move on, realize he loves us anyway. Instead, what we're going to see is that while the man and the woman, they hide from God, the Lord pursues them for their good and for their righteousness. God will not leave them in shame. It's not acceptable to him, and yet he pursues them. This is, this is the paradox of the gospel. That's why the gospel is the only message that answers all of our longings. Our longings to be loved despite who we are and our longings to be better. Here's what we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? So we've already noticed that Adam and Eve hid from God. We should also notice what God does. So, so God doesn't abandon his people, but he pursues them. He calls out to their representative. He called out to the man. He calls out to their representative saying, where are you? So don't take this behavior for granted. This isn't just a random telling of a story. There's so much that must have happened here that is not in any way written down in the Bible. What we have here, every word of it is here for a reason. It's here for us. Notice it. Pay attention. Appreciate it. You see, God owed nothing to his creation. Even their existence was a gift from him. And God knows everything. And, and so he didn't ask this question for his own good. He already knew. And yet, God created mankind to dwell with him. And here they were hiding. And God in his grace. This is what he did, but we shouldn't take it for granted. We should appreciate it. In his grace, God called out to the man, the covenant head, saying, where are you? Here's God still seeking the sinful man. Just as we remember in our call to worship every week, it's God who calls us, not we who seek God. Adam and Eve hid from God, but God called out. And so we should also notice whom God calls out to. Whom did the serpent pursue? You guys remember? Who, who did the serpent pursue and, and who ate first? You may remember that the serpent pursued the woman, and the woman ate first. But what did God do? What did the holy God do? God came to the covenant head. That's sort of unintuitive, isn't it? But he came to the covenant head. God made the covenant with Adam, and it was with Adam that he would address the breaking of the covenant. How does the man answer his God 
when asked this question, where are you? Adam says this, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, Adam knows something that many of us have forgotten. Hebrews tells us that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's New Testament, guys. We want to make Old Testament and New Testament God different people. It's the same God. So that's Hebrews. See, Adam knew the covenant. Adam knew the covenant that God had made with him. If he ate of that tree, he would surely die. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And yet, who can escape an all-knowing God? He had to tell him the truth. So he tells him, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. But once again, God surprises us. God surprises us. He doesn't just strike him down immediately, but he asks, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam and Eve tried to hide from God, but there is no hiding from God. We can't hide our bodies. We can't hide our actions. We can't even hide our motives or our thoughts. Everything about us is laid bare before God. When we encounter God, he shows us the truth. The truth is that we are in a shameful and naked state. The truth is we have things to hide that God has already seen. This is why we're prone to suppressing the truth in our unrighteousness. We don't want to encounter God. That's why we hide. We don't want to encounter God because we don't want to encounter our own sin. We see it when we see him. Essentially, when we hide from God, we aren't really hiding from him alone. We're hiding from seeing the parts of ourselves that we do not want to confront. The parts we know are there. This is also why when God pursues people as he pursued the man and the woman here, people confess and repent. That's good news. See, a genuine heart-level confession and repentance from sin. It's, it's not a ticket into right relationship with God. And, and repentance is not a new way to earn God's love. Instead, the only way we can overcome our impulse to suppress the truth and unrighteousness is when God comes to us first and he says, where are you? It's uncomfortable. What happens when he says this to us? Where are you? We're naked. We tried to cover our sin. We're hiding from him. We don't want to see what he has to show us. And yet, this is where our repentance comes from. We didn't drum it up ourselves. God came to us in love, saying, where are you? Likewise, it's not we who pursue God, but it's God who pursues us. And God was not surprised about what they had done. He didn't create them with shame, but they were ashamed, afraid to be seen in their nakedness. So he turns the conversation to the covenant. Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? See, God, God wasn't talking to Adam first because Adam was the man and, and Eve just needed to leave it to the men to talk about the matters of consequence. That 
you may have gotten the impression from this passage that that's what's kind of happening here. That's not what's happening here. Actually, we're going to see very soon, not this week, but soon, that God's eternal plan made before the foundations of the earth would be Eve's domain, not Adam's. Matters of consequence belong to her as well. But God addressed Adam not because this was a matter of consequence, but because it was a matter of covenant, the covenant that God had made with Adam. And on this covenant, the fate of all humanity and all the world rested. And under this covenant, there was one thing that could not be done, and that was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was here now to address this matter with the one whose name was on the dotted line. And that was the man. The man had signed for this covenant. This is how headship works. If the head is faithful, this blessing flows down on all those under him. If those under him are unfaithful, their curse falls on him. Any one of us who has a boss knows this, right? It's, it's a little foreign culturally, but there are places where it still makes sense. There are times where there's one who's responsible, who their success kind of flows down to you, but your failures might fall on them and make them fall. But does Adam know this? How does he respond when God asks him if the covenant was broken? Does he own up to it? Does he say, let this fall on me? You made the covenant with me. Let me own it. Let me bear the weight and the consequences of what has happened. Well, he does what any sensible man would do. He blames his wife. So this is what he says to God. He says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So to begin with, Adam, knowing that he's the covenant head, responsible to ensure that the terms of the covenant were kept, he does not take responsibility. Instead, he points the finger at his wife. It was the woman who gave me some of the fruit. And that, that's what I ate. It's a weak confession that Adam makes. He admits it. He says, I ate. But the main point of what he has to say is that the woman gave him the fruit. Feels a little too familiar for me, so I'm going to keep moving on. <laughs> you know? What kind of hero is this, though? What kind of covenant head? There must be something better. I mean, it leaves you longing, doesn't it? It leaves you longing for someone who would not do this to his bride. And yet, if you're a husband here, man, you probably know what this feels like. What kind of hero is this? We need someone better. But it gets worse. Adam doesn't only blame the woman. He blames God. What audacity. I mean, this guy who's so scared that he hides in his bushes just because he's naked. How could he talk to God this way? But he says, the woman you gave to be with me. The woman you gave to be with me. That's what he says to God. Well, if you're ever wondering why the New Testament, actually, I mean, the book of Exodus especially, so the Old Testament too, is so strict against complainers. This is what we're doing. 
you gave me this woman, God. We're blaming him. It wasn't just the woman's fault for giving Adam the fruit. It was God's fault for giving him that woman. What? What a turn. What a turn. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. After he looked through the entire animal kingdom saying none of these fit, he finally finds the one that fits. She gives him some sort of fruit to eat. You gave me this woman. This is not the way God made things to be. God made man to keep the covenant for the good of his bride and for the good of the earth. That's the way headship was designed. And yet God doesn't rebuke Adam right away. See, it's not not like the woman wasn't responsible just because Adam was the head. She was a human made in the image of God, accountable just like Adam was, but maybe in some different ways. The woman is responsible for her actions too. So the Lord God asked the woman, saying, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Everything about this picture is just wrong. It's wrong, isn't it? Can you feel it? How wrong it all is? The humans are hiding from God when they should be walking with him. It's wrong. The man is blaming his wife when he should be protecting her. It's wrong. The woman is following the serpent when she should be following her husband. The man is following his wife as she follows the serpent. The whole order of things is wrong. No wonder they didn't want to be seen. Everything's just messed up. Now, having heard Adam's response, you know, God, when he turns to Eve and says, what have you done? And she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What else could she say? You know, the serpent deceived her. Her husband accused her. Her God now questions her. She could only say one thing, and what a sad and helpless thing it is for her to say. So now we have to ask the question, who are we in this story? Men, are you Adam? Did God give us this story as a warning showing you how to be better husbands. Women, is Eve here to tell you how to be a better wife? Now, you can't read the New Testament without believing that this certainly has something to say to men and women, especially as how how we engage with one another in marriage. Paul makes an analogy. But we just have this tendency to make the analogy backwards. We take the gospel And we bring it down from heaven and make it all about me and what I do and who I'm supposed to be. It's supposed to go the other way. If we're going to read the Bible as a unified story about God working out his plan of salvation, we cannot believe that the garden story is a story simply about how to be better husbands and better wives. Adam is not the cautionary husband 
And Eve is not the cautionary wife. Instead, the rest of the Bible begins to unfold a story in which God covenants with people who continually behave in line with the statement, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Who are we in this story? Man, woman, married, single. We're Eve. We are the woman. Known a lot of dudes who are uncomfortable with that, but if you want to be a Christian, you just got to get over it, I guess. I don't know. We're the woman here. We're the ones meant to follow the covenant head into eternal blessing, but we follow the serpent into sin instead. That's who we are. Paul makes this clear when he says about marriage, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, the Bible isn't about how to be faithful in marriage. It's not this little rule book that unlocks all the cheat codes to how to live your best life. Instead, at the center of marriage and at the center of the Bible story is the very same thing. It's the gospel. We end this story at verse 13, and when we end there, we're left with this profound question. What should we do with a bride who follows the devil? The good news is this. Jesus knows exactly what to do with this sort of bride. He knows exactly what to do. He's not stumped. In fact, marriage was designed with the specific purpose of hiding within it the mystery of the gospel. That's when, when you hear the word mystery in the New Testament, it, there's a little bit of a different implication than there is when we typically use it. We typically think of mystery as something that it's like unknowable. I can't learn what this means. But when Paul especially talks about mystery, what he's talking about is a truth that was once hidden and now revealed. So when he says that about marriage, this mystery is profound. I mean, it's kind of clear with what he says there, right? This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So he tells you what he's talking about. It's, it, it, can't be a mis- it, it can't mean that you don't know what it means because he just told you what it means, right? But he means it's been hidden here. It's been hidden. You've had hints of it. You've sort of understood it a little bit. And now here comes the big reveal. The good news that Jesus loved his bride, came for his bride, works to make his bride perfect and without blemish. That's the gospel. When the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate, no man here should believe that he can do better for his wife than Adam did. No woman here should believe that she can do better for her husband than Eve did. Whether you're a husband, a wife, or neither, when God talks about marriage, he is talking to all of his people. None of us is like Cinderella, faithfully serving a wicked family, waiting for her good deeds to deliver a Prince Charming. None of us is like Prince Charming, ready to find and save the damsel from her unmerited distress. 
all of us are like Eve, sinful, deceived, ashamed, helpless to save ourselves. We should be honest with ourselves and realize that the only possible hope in this sort of situation is a husband better than Adam, who can make us into a bride better than Eve. The good news is that there was a husband better than Adam. Because Adam took his bride to hide into the bushes. But Christ came down from heaven to seek his bride and bring her back into the light. He brought her out of hiding. Adam blamed his wife for giving him the fruit, but Jesus sought his bride with tears and he let our blame fall on him as a covenant head should when those under him break covenant. Adam blamed God for giving him a wife like Eve, but Jesus obeyed his father perfectly for the sake of his bride's good and his father's glory. When the man and the woman realized their nakedness, they made a pathetic attempt to cover it up. By their hands, they brought sin into the world, yet they tried to cover their sin with the work of their hands. Their sin called for the shedding of blood, yet they tried to cover their sin with plants. But Jesus himself was stripped naked on our behalf and shed his very own blood. I was naked and so I hid. Did Jesus hide? He became naked. Eat of this tree and you will surely die. Did Jesus hide? I mean, John basically paints the picture of him climbing on the cross. At the end of all things, he will clothe his bride, the church, in the finest, whitest linens that anyone has ever seen. No plants could compare to these clothes. When the man and the woman hid, God came for him, for them. But Jesus was abandoned by his father, allowed to die. When you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Upon whom did that curse really fall? Jesus. Jesus took that curse. What does God do with a bride like this? What does he do? He comes for her. He makes her clean. He lives for her. He dies for her. And he brings her home to be with him forever. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.